Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious, everybody. I'm Charnel. And I'm Amber. And we're bringing you Killer Trios Week. Yeah. We happen to find some cases where multiple people take part in the killing of our victim, unfortunately. Yeah. Mine sucks. So does mine. I say that a lot. But it's true. They really do suck. They all do. Every one of our episodes suck. (laughs) They all suck. (laughs) Yeah, we're gonna. Are we gonna kick off with mine? Am I going first today? I think. Yeah, let's do it. Let's mix it up. Okay. Um, it's a it, Monday. I had a craptastic Monday, so really I'm did. all about you going first. You had the Monday Mondays today, and and this actually releases on my birthday. This case oh. that we're recording today will release on my birthday. So you know, happy birthday to in me in a sick way. Happy birthday to you. Bring you murder, <laughs> murder trio as a birthday gift. Yep, thrice, <laughs> thrice murder. It's really not. Thrice. I can't do the tongue roll. Thrice. Please don't hurt yourself. (laughs) I'll stop now. I'm going to stop. Oh, gosh. All right. Here we go. I'm going to tell you about I read a book. And I promise, I promise it won't be a two hour long episode. Sometimes oh, I, I know. <laughs> Whenever you say I read a book, I'm like snuggling. Oh, yeah. Like- no, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really trying to learn the art of reading a book and not making our cases so, so long for the well, listeners. Sometimes it's essential. Yes. And, and we do get a lot of feedback that people really like that. Yeah. So, but I just know I like, we like to kind of divvy I it have- up between short and, and long. Yes. So yeah, don't we all? <laughs> I have I have yet to be I mean everyone that you've done that's longer is very good I mean and it's hard to to decide what to cut out when you have all that information that's that's the problem it's like it's in my brain so I want it to be in your brain because the more detail I feel like the more we really empathize with the victim and really understand and so yeah so I'm bringing you the case of the three sisters in black Oh, that just sounds eerie. Oh, it is eerie. It This is what drew me in. It was the eeriness that drew me in. And I encourage you all to read the book. It's called Three Sisters in Black, The Bizarre True Case of the Bathtub Tragedy by Norman Zerold. The front cover of it. Literally, I judged a book by its cover. Sorry. <laughs> but the front cover of it has these three elderly looking women veiled completely in black. It's very mysterious. So, of course, I I start reading it, and this is an old-timey case. This is from the early 1900s, but I had never heard of it before. And quite frankly, I am shocked at what these these three broads pull off. I tell you I mean, it already has just a witchy, witchy vibe. I'm getting witchy vibes. That's what I thought it was going to be about. And there is some— No witchy vibes? No, it's really not, but at the same token— it there it could be perceived that way by some of some of the things that I say you're gonna be like, ooh, that feels a little overly spiritual. Okay. A little it could be construed as a little what that time of, you know, our history would have thought of as witchy, but they never were accused of being witches. Uh, this this was some shady shit. There was shit. some dark stuff back in the days. Absolutely, but this is 
carried out by three like elderly women. Oh. So it's bananas. Okay. So where I'm going to start, though, isn't necessarily the start of the story. It's one of those situations where we're going to start at the end of the story and move backwards for you to understand. Yeah, sometimes you have to. Let's go to November 29th, 1909, shall we? Jump in the DeLorean. Here we go. Join me, everyone. We are at 89 West 14th Street in East Orange, New Jersey. I'm going there right now in my mind. Okay. Dr. Herbert M. Simmons receives a call about five o'clock or so in the afternoon saying that he and he is the he's the East Orange local doctor. He's just got a woman on the phone that explains that a girl has killed herself in the bathtub. So you better come take a look. Now, what what Dr. Herbert didn't know is that actually at about 430, this same woman had called the local police station in East Orange, New Jersey, and had said, hey, I need a coroner. We got a dead woman here. And they're like, yeah, call your local doctor because we we don't actually just have a coroner on At your back call. And call. Yes, yeah. yep, exactly. So Dr. Simmons was like, all right, here I go. So he arrives at 89 West 14th Street. And upon arrival, he actually thought, shoot, the police station that he got more information from had sent him to the wrong address because the house appeared empty. There was the paint was chipped, the lawn was grown over, the windows had no curtains. He knocked on the door just in case, like I'm pretty sure I'm in the wrong place, but if not, let's see. He's not expecting anybody to answer. However, the old heavy door creaks open and reveals a what is described in this fabulous article that I read too. Not only did I read The Three Sisters in Black and I encourage you to do it, but there's a little blog that Heather Monroe did that was well done on this case as well. And so I took this quote from it because... Um, you know I love she, my descriptions. Yes! <laughs> she she says, It creaked open to reveal a specter of a woman draped from head to toe in black mourning garb. Oh. I just liked that. A specter of a woman. Yeah. So, so it's just, just... It sounds so creepy already. It, the door exactly. is like... Exactly. Yep. There's, it's this empty, that was the that perfect. That was a good creep. It really was. I'm actually impressed with myself. I might record that onto a button. It is already recorded. So I will yeah. just go ahead and clip that into one of we our. We can creak random things. We can. I, I loved it. But that, but just paint this picture, everyone, of this doctor knowing there's a dead body reportedly yeah. in this home where all the paint is chipping. There's no curtains. It seems empty and dark inside. There's no lights empty and dark inside and all of a sudden this door creeps open Mm. and this specter of a woman specter just pops out and she's veiled in all black and she says really gruffly coroner of course i don't know how to i don't even know what a specter coroner (laughs) (laughs) you sounded like you had a jack in one hand and a sig in the other yes i did my god oh gosh (laughs) And so he's just kind of nodding like, yeah, I'm the doctor here. Like, I'm as good as we get here for a corner. So she's like, this way. So she turns, and she's carrying a candle. She turns in the chilly autumn air, because this, I love that it's November, and we're recording this. This Mm -hmm. happened November 29th. The gust of air from the door extinguishes their little, her little (gasps) candle. No, 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 no. As she's walking up the stairs of this home. And he's like, he, she's saying nothing else. He's just expected to follow her. 
So the first thing that he notices is the coldness of the home. There was no heat source. There's no fire going, nothing. He also noticed there's no furniture. There is nothing in this house except three old chairs, a single bed cot, and a barrel that served as like a a table. This is just so odd. Yes, exactly. Do you see why I was like sucked into the book right from the beginning here? So the woman leads Simmons to this one bathroom that's in the house, and it was on the second floor. So he sees, she relit the candle, by the way. Oh, thank God, because I'm picturing them in the darkness. No, no, she does relight their single candle. They have a candlestick. And it's it's October, excuse me, November 29th at, what did I say, 5, 5.30 p.m., so something like that. And, yeah, and cold. exactly. Now, by the light of the single candle, Dr. Simmons saw there was a zinc-lined wooden bathtub about four feet long and half filled with a foot of soapy water. Just under the surface lay the corpse of a young woman. Her long auburn hair floated around her face. Her head was tilted toward the faucets, and her hand still clutched a washcloth. She was, if you can kind of picture it, like on her knees in the fetal position, but like on her knees, okay? So crouched, you know, her knees are up under her. Okay. And she's, her hands are crouched in by her chest. She's clutching a washcloth. Gotcha. And her face is turned upwards toward the water faucet. So the doctor's like, hey, when did this happen? The lady in black says, I don't know. I discovered the body a few minutes before I called you. He's like, okay, who is she and who are you? Like, what's going on here? She got angry by that question and was like, you're going to learn soon enough. Oh, God, that is cryptic you will find that the the women i introduce you to don't have a whole lot to say to police at all if that was me i would have been like i'm gonna peace out yeah because uh, you're scaring the crap creepy. out of me so he's like do you live here does she live here have you been in the house all day like what is going on and he could tell that his questioning is making her uneasy so she's like listen the last time that i saw her was this morning I left to do my errands, my day, all day errands. She said that she was going to have a bath and a long nap. She hasn't been well, so she's been sleeping all day. So I didn't check on her all day. I've been out. It's like it, it, it's not un, was not unusual to for her to sleep all day, so I didn't hear from her. Now, immediately the doctor's like, excuse me, this morning, this girl has been dead a full 24 hours. So already he's like, no. You're lying. Mm-mm. He started to leave the bathroom and he notices that her clothes are folded neatly by the bathtub and pinned right on top of them is a note. This is what the note said. This is a quote. Last year, my little daughter died. Other near and dear kindred too have gone to heaven. I long to go there too. I have been ill and weak a very long time now. Death will be a blessed relief to me and my suffering in my sufferings. When you read this, I will have committed suicide. My sorrow and pain in this world are greater than I can endure. Signed, O.C.W.M. Sneed. Immediately, Dr. Simmons notified the police. Because he's like, who is this poor girl? How did she come to die in this bathtub? I'm not really believing this note. Yeah. Because what I've described for you in the house is literally all there is in the house. There was also like a dress hanging 
up in a the same bedroom that had the cot. So it didn't look lived in. It was definitely not lived in. And 100% was not lived in. Did they and even notice like she's trying to take a bath, but there are no towels. She's got this single washcloth and there's there's no heat. It's November in New Jersey and there's no heat. What was she Why trying would you take off? a bath? Right. right. What was she trying off with? That sounds so unsatisfying. Oh gosh, I know. Like, oh, I'm just going to draw me a bath with no towel no. in the freezing cold. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. I'm going to dry off. It'll be fine. But it sounds well, so good. Well, and they had to heat their water back then. Oh, yeah. So, which she does say that this, the mysterious woman in black did say, I helped her heat the buckets of water for the bathtub. I helped her draw her bath, essentially. And then I left for the day. But he knew better. Like, no, this has been more than this time. Did they ever explain who she was to them? Or did they just kind of leave that... Who the girl was? No, not okay. to the doctor. Nope, she's literally not saying anything more than she needs to to the doctor. The police, that's a different story. Doctor calls the police and is like, listen, I am, I'm going to tell you that, like, I, I believe that it was on her initial death certificate. They had ruled it a suicide under mysterious circumstances. The police do arrive. They, they take her body in for autopsy. Detective Officer William H. O'Neill, which just sounds so old-timey to me. It I'm does. like, this is perfect. It's actually at the point in the book that I got this name and flipped back to the beginning to make sure it really said true story. <laughs> because I was like, <laughs> Am I is this fiction? Right. Because we've got this mysterious woman in black and this this poor woman that's Detect- dead and doc- de- <laughs> Detective Officer William H. O'Neill. It does. It sounds so like out of a, yes. a story or um, out of a clue like yes, clue, clue game. <laughs> it was yes. so perfect. So he was assigned to investigate the death scene. He immediately set out to examine the suicide note, and he questioned this mysterious woman in black. He did search the house as well for evidence. Now, the woman in black identified herself as Miss Virginia Oceana Wardlaw. So she identified herself as the former president of Seoul College in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and the former co-owner of Montgomery College in Christianburg, Virginia. So she's really talking herself up like, yes. I've been. Just know right off the bat, lineage and position is very important. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yes. We're uppity as fuck, okay. in other yeah. words. <laughs> okay. This was, yeah, this was a time to be uppity. Mm-hmm. And judgy. She also identified herself as the aunt of the victim in the bathtub. She said that the the victim's name was Oceana Wardlaw Martin Sneed. And that she's the daughter of Mrs. Caroline Wardlaw Martin and wife of Fletcher Wardlaw Sneed. So Oceana, let me say that again. Because people become important in this case. And I'm going to start dropping their like formal names and just call them by their first name so it's easier. I'm also working on talking slower because I've listened back to some of our cases and realized that my brain moves so quickly sometimes I talk too fast. Mm. So See, I have the opposite problem. I'm like slow as a turtle. <laughs> and then you got to speed it up. We'll get there. It's <laughs> only 85 episodes in or some shit. But anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> only a few hundred more and right. we will be we will well on our On way. our A game. Yeah. So our victim here, who Miss Virginia is claiming committed suicide, is Oceana. 
Okay, it was very common for people to be named Oceana, and their nickname, they just went by O.C. Oh, okay. So this really is the story of O.C. Sneed and how she died. Okay. Now, O.C. lived with Virginia Wardlaw, her aunt, who never married. So Virginia's sister, also O.C.'s mother, is Caroline Wardlaw Martin. Okay. O.C. got married, and we're going to talk about her life in a, in a little bit. O.C.'s um, husband's name was Fletcher Sneed. Okay, so that's, how, that's why her name is Oceana Wardlaw Martin Sneed, because mm-hmm. she has her mother's name, her father's name, and her married name. Okay, gotcha. Yep. So she's just O.C. That's what we're going to call her. Aunt Virginia told Officer O'Neill that O.C. hadn't been well since her first child died in 1908. She said she grew very depressed since her husband disappeared in April 1909. The only light in O.C.'s life was her newborn son, who was very sickly and recently admitted to the hospital. Officer O'Neill toured the house. He found that the same way that the doctor did. It was cold. It was dank. It had not been heated in quite some time. Okay, it was bare. There's no furniture. The gas hadn't been been turned on. No fire, like how are they cooking? Right. There's no fires for cooking, nothing. Sounds like there's no signs of life. Exactly. At all. Exactly. Now, what Vir- Virginia, OC's aunt, tells the officer is that they had only arrived two weeks earlier and the fur- furniture hadn't been delivered yet. So she tried her best. Virginia was skirting around as many questions as she possibly could and prattled on about her nobility, genealogy. So instead of at. Actually Basically, answering the questions like, well, correct. This is, for, sh- for sure, this is where I came from. And, yeah. and there were times where she literally acted offended. And this is where I started to cut things out from the book, go read the book. But some of the stuff that she says to the detective is almost comical where you're like, I'm sorry, just answer the question. And instead she's, how dare you ask me that? I am from the noble blood of yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like, dude, he doesn't care. Right now, there is a woman dead. Your niece is dead, and you're skirting around, acting like you're you because you're a woman of nobility of noble blood. You should not be questioned in this very mysterious death, and that is exactly her take on it. He was still studying the suicide note when he asks Virginia, "Do you have a pen and some ink?" Virginia says, "Nope, there's none in the house." So then the detective says. Is that so? Oh, really? Then when did this girl write her suicide note, and how does it happen that she had soap and a wash rag? Mic drop for detective. Right. He's What's like, his face? Clue guy. <laughs> you, she's got soap and a wash rag to take a bath, seemingly, right? Like, like one would. But right. she wrote this suicide note, no ink, no pen in the house. But she wrote this note and purposely left it, but then she was just going to commit suicide. Why bring a wash rag into the bathtub with her and why have use soap? Mm-hmm. Was she going to wash herself before she killed herself? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. And like I said, there's not even a towel in the house. The detective noticed that too. Like what is, you know, what is going on? Officer O'Neill goes ahead and arrests 62-year-old Aunt Virginia. She and, was probably like preposterous. Yes, oh, 100%. And in the Essex County Jail. Now, I am I am skipping a little bit here. He, they did do 
more investigating and I'm going to get to why they arrest her. Okay. It's just for the sake of me cutting some things down and making this story flow better that I'm telling you now. They arrest her. Officer O'Neill never believes believed that oh she killed herself, and he launches a full investigation. I was okay. going to say it sounds very unlikely that this was a suicide. Oh no, definitely not. So let me tell you now that I've told you what brought about the investigation, I'm going to tell you a little bit about O.C. She was born Oceana Wade Law Wade Law Martin in Manhattan, New York, in September of 1885. Her mother was a Southern aristocrat named Caroline Bell Wardlaw, and her father was a veteran of the Confederacy, Confederacy named Colonel Robert Maxwell Martin. Also just seems like a very Colonel-esque name. It does. Robert Maxwell Martin. Now, O.C. had a brother, Hugh Martin, who was four years older than her. When O.C. was three, seven-year-old Hugh suffered a terrible fall down a flight of stairs. Sadly, the child passed away from his injuries. Oh. His parents previously took out a life insurance policy on him, and they received $22,000 when he died. Now, $22,000 in nineteen in the early 1900s is not That's, the same as $22,000 today. Yeah, I bet that was a lot of money. A lot of money. I'm sure that that was a, a substantial amount of money. Should I be suspicious? Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm suspicious. I mean, we've had too many cases. <laughs> right, for you to just I think that a seven-year-old dying and, is, yeah. yes. Is, and, oh, we get all of this money. Yeah. Right. We know why we're here listening to this oh, podcast. Yeah. I'm suspicious already. Now, after Hugh's death, the Martin family disappears from public record for a while until January 9th, 1901. On that day, the neighbors heard a loud crashing sound coming from the Martin home. Now, this is O.C. being still is still a child. Her brother passed away. They rush over. The neighbors go over and find O.C.'s father lying dead on the ground. Mrs. Martin, that's Caroline, O.C.'s mother, was hovering over his body as O.C. sobbed nearby because she saw this. Caroline glared at her little girl and growled a single word to the child, remember. Wow. Once this was said, O.C. immediately became quiet, and she did not speak to the neighbors about what happened. These people are really not good at being natural about this. (laughs) They're so shady and suspicious. I agree. The good colonel's obituary said that he suffered a long illness before death, but the exact disease is unclear. And when he passed away, Caroline collected $10,000 and took O.C. to live with her family in the South. Because, of course, Robert's life was insured as well. Right. So many insured people in this case. Oh, yeah. Now, let's talk about Caroline a little bit, shall we? Caroline was born in 1847. This is O.C.'s mother. She was the eldest daughter of John and and Mary Elizabeth Wardlaw. Mary Elizabeth's married, or name, birth name was Goodall. Her first sister, Mary, came a year later after they got married. Then Virginia came. It was Caroline was born first, then Mary, then Virginia. So three girls, like, bam, bam, bam. Gotcha. Okay. And they were inseparable. All of them uh, possessed teaching credentials from Wesleyan Female College. They were extremely close. They habitually dressed alike. And their choice of dress was heavy black clothes, including long black capes and thick, dark veils, making it impossible to tell 
which sister was which. Oh, wow. Virginia was actually a headmistress at the Seoul Female Academy, as she was bragging to the detective about, which was a prestigious boarding school in Murfreesboro. Oh, we know all about those boarding schools. Oh, yes, we do. Right? Nothing prestigious Mm. about them. No. Mary was her assistant, so her sister Mary was Virginia's assistant. Then when Caroline comes to town, you know, because her seven-year-old son and then her husband, the good colonel, died, she comes down. And Virginia offered her a job managing the school's funds. So Caroline agreed and enrolled Osi into the school. According to the blog that I had mentioned earlier, quote, over the year, Virginia allowed Caroline to gain control of the school. Caroline possessed a strange persuasive power over her sisters that some thought was hypnotic, even supernatural. Caroline completely changed the curriculum. The students became uneasy when the Wardlaw sisters began padlocking random rooms and switching pupils from from class to class for no reason. Most unsettling, the women walked the campus corridors in their black garb to startle students. Sometimes they would appear in a sleeping girl's room like phantoms in the night. No, no. End quote. Oh, gosh. That, so I'm, this is the school. I gotta, I gotta go. Sorry, right? this is so creepy. Isn't that creepy, so creepy. Like, what are you doing? And the thing that was clear from the book is that they do not explain their actions, what they're doing. Ever. It's like they can talk to each other without saying words out loud, and they don't have to explain themselves to the outside world. They're just creeping around in mm-hmm. their black yep. linen, somehow communicating with each other. Literally, they look like shra- like curtains, just Moving walking around. around. Black that, curtains. That image to me, it gives me chills. They have it's a so hat. Creepy. Like, they're wearing a hat with a whole full-on veil over their face. Oh, my gosh. All the time. And if you picture early 1900s garb, very fancy dresses. You know, head to toe. Women were covered head to toe in, in nice dresses. For the times, they're still wearing that, but they have these hats. Like, you'd see on the Titanic, all those fabulous hats those women were wearing. But with a veil. With a veil. Ugh. A black veil. So you cannot see who they are and everything is black. There were also reports that this happened on multiple occasions, but the sisters would hire a man to bring them to Evergreen Cemetery after sunset. And the three of them would gather around various graves where they would hold hands and chant unintelligibly until dawn. This sounds like the start of some kind of witchcrafty movie for sure i know again a a couple of times i switched back to the front of the book to make sure this was a legitimate it is it really is a legitimate case though i I bet you somebody read this book and was like i'm making you know one of these movies because there's for sure i'm thinking of several like witchery movies Mm -hmm. that that could really play into this definitely as i'm sure you're not surprised to hear everyone the behavior of them caused attendance and enrollment to dwindle (laughs) At the school. I would hope so. Yes. Then, to make matters worse, Caroline was not managing the money correctly at all. So, in 1907, the sisters were relieved of their professional duties at Seoul Female Academy. Thank God. But now they move to Christiansburg, where Virginia finds employment quickly because they had the girls, the three sisters, had a 93-year-old aunt her name was also Oceana. Her name was Oceana Seaborn Goodall 
Pollock, and she owned and directed Montgomery Female College in Christianburg, Virginia. We have a long lineage of scholars, female scholars and educating females, and I love it. I love and teachers, that. this is, in any other story, this would be beautiful. Sure. So they're, so they're in Christianburg, Virginia, and I apologize because the state of Virginia, and also we have a person named Virginia here. So I will, much Virginia going on. <laughs> I will try to differentiate where I, where I need to for clarity's sake. Now, do they still have OC, daughter OC they with do. them this yep. whole time? They do. Okay. Yep, they have her with so them. So she's just along for the ride mm-hmm. as they're being creepy yep. AF. Correct. She was in the school. She was enrolled in the oh, school that gosh, they the put under. Child. The sole female, you know, academy that went under. They, um, She was enrolled in that. And so now they're on to Christianburg, Virginia to go to their 93-year-old aunt who decided at 93 years old she probably doesn't need to be the owner and director of Montgomery Female College. Time to throw the towel in, huh? I feel like that's impressive for the time. Heck, yes. Consumption was everywhere, guys. If you don't know what that is, tuberculosis was rampant. This woman's whole life, and she survived. She's like, tuberculosis, what? Right, exactly. That's impressive. It is. She's like, I'm still working. Yes, all the way till 93. And she's like, you know what? Who is the best person for me to pass this college on to? She goes with the youngest member of the family and passes it to O.C. herself. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. So. Do we have some haters? <laughs> or it, are they like, does- yay, yay, O.C. <laughs> O.C., you got it. <laughs> yay. I don't know. I'm no, just we'll find smelling out. some troubles. Yes. Now, Mary, so the three sisters, like Mary followed Virginia, the sister, you know, the daughter of the three sisters, excuse me, down immediately. But Mary had two sons. Okay. Mary had Fletcher and John. Now, do you remember the name Fletcher? I, I do. My eyes are. Um, uh huh. Okay, I think I know where you're going with I this. I think you probably do. Yes, and you're not wrong. So, yes, mm. Mary. Mary has two sons, Fletcher and John. And the thing is, is that Fletcher and John were married. They had they had actually married a set of well-to-do sisters, Anna. And Vashta McLaurin. So Anna and Vashta, or Vashti, I've seen it both ways. At the time that Mary goes to the Montgomery Female College in Christianburg, okay, to to help start this, it was left to OC, but she's still young, Mm -hmm. so the three sisters are going to run this college for the aunt, for the 93-year-old aunt, who's also named OC, OC Anna. Okay? Okay. So Mary leaves her two married sons in Linville,ville, Tennessee. And so she's like, yep, I'll come, I'll come up. Caroline did go briefly back to, like she spent some time in New York with OC before she went back down to act as the school director. Okay. And she decided to enroll OC in the school, in the school that she essentially owns, but she's too young to be the director of right now. All right. So, but then OC at this time, O.C. stayed with her Aunt Mary. And it was at that point in time that the women, all three women claimed that O.C. was really introverted and preferred the company of family to that of outsiders. So O.C. is no longer enrolled in the school. So she's not, she is now essentially all day long at home with the three sisters and no longer in school. 
the school that she does effectively technically own because 93-year-old aunt left it right. to her. She can't. Mm-hmm. She's not in her own school. She's nope. like home. She's home. They're saying that she's withdrawn and she prefers that. Prefers that. The other thing is that Caroline, Caroline is very convincing. Caroline is O.C.'s mom. And I will keep re- repeating this and I, it might get annoying for people who are following along. That, but I know sometimes when I listen to podcasts, I can get names mixed up and forget who is who. So... Caroline's very convincing and she had actually Mary had tried to get her two sons to come help out at the school as well but they didn't want to leave their wives in Tennessee so they're like no well Caroline then tried to get John and um, Fletcher to leave and they, they said no but eventually they bend to her will. Wow. And so John first leaves his wife in Linville to take the school position. After his arrival, John became like very depressed. I mean, it was hard for him to be that far. He, his wife's in Tennessee. He's in Virginia. Okay, this is the early 1900s for crying out loud. And he didn't essentially want to do this, really. He I mean, didn't. It was no, under- he was being... Yep, he, he was being coerced into, I, I don't know the specifics. There's a lot of, of hearsay of what, if it could have been blackmail or what, but he ends up coming regardless, all right? But what is weird is that, like, calamity seemed to follow him because while on this trip with Caroline up, you know, to go to the school, John fell from the train. What? Yeah. And Caroline... And John both insisted that the fall was accidental, but the brake man on the train was certain that it looked like John intentionally jumped. Then, a few weeks later, a groundskeeper at the school found John nearly drowned in water. That he, he was, like, helping the school with its um, plumbing and, like, doing something to do with that. It said it, it said he was in a cistern. Okay. Anyway, but John swore that this too was accidental, and he, as he was taking measurements of it, he slipped. I'm just not buying this. And then a week later, a week after the groundskeeper found him almost nearly drowned, Virginia's screams ring out through the halls at the Montgomery School for Girls. Two teacher teachers, um, sorry, this is a quote from the um, book, quote, two teachers followed her cries to John's sleeping quarters, where when they opened the door, they found Virginia standing over her nephew as she, as he thrashed about his sleeping gown mysteriously caught fire. Okay. All right. uh Uh-huh. So Virginia said the accident happened while he was lighting the kerosene lamp, which I bet did happen once in a while back in Um, that day. Okay, okay. But this man is having so many near-death experiences. Like, what the F? However, the lamp had no fire. Oh, God. John's clothes were drenched in kerosene. What is wrong with these crazy broads? Right. Let's just title the episode that. That is three yeah. crazy broads. That is it. There it right is. There. Yep. That's what I'm titling it. I guess my question is why? You'll, well, you'll find out okay. in a second. Poor John suffered first degree burns. Now, tragically, he died 20 days later from those burns. Oh. And unfortunately, as one of his last acts on earth at the urging of Virginia... John named Virginia the beneficiary on his life insurance <gasps> oh. policy instead of his wife. Oh, 
Okay. His All wife right. was in Tennessee who he left to take this job. John. John. Because Aunt Caroline made him. Now Virginia has made, Aunt Virginia has made him sign over his life insurance policy to him because they can't sign it over to Caroline. Because Caroline's already got, she's, already she's collected her. on two, her it's, husband and her son. Oh, my gosh. So now she's got to collect, you know, now it's Virginia's turn. These twats and their life insurance policies. This is what I'm saying. Like, I can't even believe. Maybe edit that out. <laughs> no. Why would I? Like, that's so true. It, John should have went out with a bang. Like, all right, I'm going to die I'm taking them with me. Nope. Like, nope. nope. I'm going to sign my money over to you. But that's where the mis- mystery the power. of how it seems like they have control, a, almost a supernatural control over people. What is this witchery you speak of? And his life insurance policy, which I forgot to mention, her husband, Caroline's husband's life insurance policy would have been close to, it's like $311,000 today's standards. Okay, for that $10,000 one. Uh-huh. So if you can imagine, the $22,000 one was quite substantial So she's in converting time here. She's like set. Now her... Um, I mean, she doesn't Virginia's, need new clothes. All they wear is black. Well, right. But they don't, they don't manage money well. Oh, gotcha. So, you know, Caroline pilted everything away from the school. She didn't manage the school well. I don't know if it's... The cost of the high society that they're living in, I have no idea. But in the end, what happens is that police did did do like a half-ass investigation into John's death, but they did rule it as an accident. And in the end, the girls, the sisters split his $18,000 life insurance, which would have been hundreds of thousands of dollars today. Oh my gosh. Yep. So now, after John's horrible death, now remember, this is Mary's son. Their sister, Mary's son. They're literally killing their families. Yes. For for money. Mary is split part of her her son's life insurance policy with her sister, Virginia. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Well, the other one killed her son too. Right, exactly. This is horrible. That's, I think, in the end... I think what happens is that Caroline is the ill one here and she sets the tone for what is is okay and shows these other two how you can dispose of family members and profit off from them. So she was the mastermind behind all I of this. I think I do believe so and they the three of them were so close knit. It's like they couldn't see beyond. They only cared for each other. Yeah. Not for anyone it else. It sounds like it. OC has got to be freaking out at this I point no now at this point in time oc is really just staying with aunt mary and what happens is caroline convinces fletcher mary's other son to leave his wife and you know oh, newly fletcher. newly widowed sister-in-law because remember fletcher and john married sisters yeah yeah and go replace john no at fletcher the no fletcher now fletcher did resist but eventually he concedes and when his wife Vash- uh, Vashti tried to visit Caroline, Caroline wouldn't allow it, and so she divorced Fletcher. Good for her. I don't blame yeah. her. Like, who wants a like, husband I'm that done lives with this family? Yeah, right. Everyone is. Dying Everyone's in this dying. Family. I'm out. Now, according to Mary, Fletcher and Oshi were always really close. So when Fletcher came to Christianburg, they they he spent most of his free time. 
with each other in the home of, of Mary Sneed. So that's his mom. That's her aunt. And obviously, as things do, relationships evolve from a natural affection that most people feel for each other into a romance. They are full-on first cousins. Yep, yep. Now, reportedly, at first, the sisters did not approve of such things. Okay? But then... So, actually, Fletcher and Oshi, when Oshi turned 18, they go and elope in New York. Like, screw you guys. You don't approve of us. That's fine. We're going to go elope. And Fletcher found work in a lumber mill. Now, at first, they were really ticked off to learn that they had married. But then all of a sudden, we're like, yes, this is good. This is fine. All of a sudden, they're like, it's fine. Welcome, everyone, with our... Welcome, cousins. Cousin lovers. Cousin husband. Yes, cousin cousin husband. Hi. Hi, aunt (laughs) mother-in-law. How's it going? They can both say that, actually. Yeah. Hi, aunt mommy. If you can't keep it in your pants, you keep it in the family. That's what they say. (laughs) I had never heard that. I oh my that's God. not actually what they say, <laughs> but I have heard it before okay. in some sick, morbid conversation I was probably having. I, I know. <laughs> Tell me more about that later. <laughs> so, oh Lord, this story has many layers. Right? Um, we're just peeling it back like an yes, onion, sister. So what had happened, the reason why they were like, I mean, this is speculation of why they think all of a sudden they were so accepting is because once again, Caroline had run the school that they were running into the ground. (laughs) She needs to get her shit together. Find a broker to help manage your money. Something. But you keep killing people for their insurance money and squandering it away. And I don't even know what you're spending it on. She should have plenty of money after all the people that they've killed. And they did own a lot of property. Like she was investing in real estate and things like that. I mean, the book did say that. But, and they, of course, had grand, fine veils. Yes. (laughs) Clothes and food. But, but yeah, they needed Fletcher's income because she had piddled everything away again. My now, gosh, Caroline. Virginia had actually taken mortgages out on everything that she could to try to save Montgomery School, but it didn't matter. It went it it went underground. And they took what little money they had and headed to live with OC and Fletcher. Oh no. Hiding from their creditors. Oh no. So yes. now there's just scrubs. Yes. Now they're just three scrubs in some veils. Yes. And it's even weirder. It is getting really weird and at they, this point. And they just have their high society gene- genealogy to talk about. O.C. and Fletcher are like the only ones left, right? Because mm-hmm. they've killed off everyone else. Yeah, yeah. O.C. Yes, because Virginia never got married, right. never had children. Mary had those two children. Caroline, well, she killed her seven-year-old son, and <laughs> right. now she's got O.C. Just the, yeah, just the O-C. daughter left. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... I will say that they're, um, they had their 93-year-old aunt. I don't know at what point in time that she died. But the three sisters' mother, uh, so Osi's grandmother, is still alive and is a decent human being and doesn't know what's going on. Gotcha. Okay, but okay. she's very elderly. Because, honestly, at this point in time, the sisters are in their 60s. 
they're not spring chickens right. for the time. I mean, today's standards, 60s is nothing. But back then, I'm but sure. yeah, exactly. Early 1900s, yeah, they're they're really creeping up there. They, congratulations, you've survived at this point. They're hiding from creditors now. It's 19 by by 1903. OC had four policies totaling twenty four thousand five hundred dollars, which is way more today. And Fletcher had twenty four thousand in life insurance policy, with his mother and two aunts named as the beneficiaries. O.C.'s policies made her maternal grandmother the first beneficiary and her mother the second beneficiary. While they're broken, the three sisters go and make them sm- themselves um, a little small tenement house. They make themselves at home, excuse me, in a little small tenement house at 1693 East 48th Street in the Flatlands neighborhood of Brooklyn. So we're, we're in Brooklyn. Okay. They had no income. They had very little to sustain themselves. But Caroline had an insurance policy for OC valued at $32,000. Man, these people with their life insurance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody's mm-hmm. got a policy. Because OC's, in 1903, OC's policy was 24, you know, 24000 So it when they move... It's upped. Like she, she, inc- Caroline increases it on her daughter. Suspicious. Okay. Now, shortly after the three sisters arrive, OC discovers that she's pregnant. The pregnancy was difficult for her. She started to really lose some weight. Um, she actually, every, no one expected her to survive the pregnancy, but on. They were I, probably like, yes. We'll find out more about that. Okay. She delivered a daughter on February 9th, 1908, and the baby's name was Mary Alberta Sneed. So after Aunt Mary and Mama Mary. Oh, sweet. <laughs> yes. Your grandma. They probably, she probably didn't have a choice. God, your grandma aunt. That's what she would be. A grandma aunt. Yep. yep. You are correct. So uh, poor Mary Alberta only lived for two days. Oh. And by autumn. By that fall, O.C. was pregnant again. Now, this is where it gets really tragic. I think that what happens is Fletcher figures out he is worth more dead than alive. Because Fletcher pieces out. He oh, leaves. Wow. He he ditches he O.C. and the, the yes. family. Because what we will find out is that really most of O.C.'s life, but especially after they moved in and they don't hardly have anything, they are starving O.C., Oh, my God. Her whole life, like, since infancy, she had not been fed well. She was very malnourished. Wow. Yeah. Purposely Mm -hmm. or, oh, my God. Purposely. So, him, I mean, I'm sure at this point he's figuring she's not going to survive these pregnancies. She almost didn't survive the first pregnancy. That was, and she delivered in February, and she's pregnant again by fall. He's like, she's certainly not going to survive this one. So he straight up leaves. I am sure he has put the pieces of the puzzle together at this point I in time. I would think so because these are just like red flags screaming for Correct. a long time. And I've seen it in some sources that he supposedly left behind a suicide note. But regardless, O.C.'s aunt and mother tell him he's dead, that he killed himself. Wow. I don't even yeah. hate Fletcher for this. Like, it, I, this is so right. horrible. right. I mean, just maybe save himself. He didn't know what else to do. So during the investigation, the police are, like, trying to figure out, like, how did this man kill himself? And now Osi's killing him herself. And 
they're the ones that uncover that Fletcher was alive. (laughs) He did not kill himself. And the total reasons for him leaving are completely unknown. And it's just speculated upon that he figured out what they were doing and he fled to Canada. And Not I don't a bad blame place him. to be. No, I don't hate him for this because I mean, yes, it's horrible for Osi, but he I feel like he kind of knew what was coming. Well, exactly. And the three sisters did try to collect on Fletcher's life insurance. I was going to say you bet, they better did. believe that he probably knew he was next at some point yeah. in the line. Yep, I agree. It, he might be the only one that's got the most brains out of a lot of them, I really. I think so. And so the the life insurance company would not pay it because they couldn't prove he was dead. Good. Yeah. They're like, okay, we see the suicide note, but any literally anyone could have wrote that. Like, we don't, we have no idea. Sorry, I didn't mean to like blow <laughs> into them. I'm like, <laughs> what I was going to say was poor John practically like let them kill him and signed his- botched attempts before. Yes. And then he suffered for 20 days with those burns. And still signed his money over. That's yes. horrible. Yes. I feel so bad for John. And all he was trying to do was come help them at their crappy school. I agree. Wow. So they're all pretty pissed that they're not getting Fletcher's life insurance, but Fletcher's, Fletcher's gone. So they're also not getting Fletcher's sawmill income, right? And they've been starving OC. She's not in condition to work either. You know, she's just a little wisp of a, of a girl that's pregnant. And it was said that at this point in time, Caroline began to drop hints to Virginia about how relieved she would be to get OC's life insurance. On July 18th, 1910, OC gave birth to a frail son and named him David Pollock Sneed. A neighbor did assist with the delivery and he noted her name. What I didn't mean he, I'm sorry. I meant her. Her name was Ethel Moore. And according to Ethel, poor O.C. was like really hungry and weak. And when the three creepy women in black were out of earshot, O.C. told Ethel that her mother and aunts were starving her to death. And whenever the sisters sensed agitation in O.C. or maybe suspicious, suspicion, excuse me, they doused her with morphine until she was quiet again. Oh, my god! And so what it's, it is suspected is that they were actually giving her morphine a lot just to keep her in a drugged up state. It's unknown like when they started doing this, if it started with her pregnancies or if it started before then. We're not sure. This poor girl. She was happy when they ran away, when she was away from the sisters and you know, and her, her aunts and her mom, and she was just with Fletcher, she was happy and she Aww. was well. And there's photographs of her from that time that I will post and she looks well. But when they move back in with her is when they, it declines. It's like they have a power and like control. It's like they suck the life mm-hmm. out of her. Yes. And I don't know, give it to themselves for beauty. Is this like a Rapunzel situation? I don't know. You know what? Mother knows best. <laughs> it is. It's like she broke free, but then once they came back, they like they had the control over yes. her to and starve her. And did they have her. control because they were giving her morphine? Could be. I, you know what? I'm going to say what it. the speculation is. I would have married my cousin, too. <laughs> right? Just to like, get this out. this is her first chance out. Yep. I've got some very delightful cousins. I could do worse. <laughs> Honestly. Like, if she, and some she was happy. Some are listening right now, too, going, oh, gosh. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I'm sorry, family, but right. I'm just saying, like, I mean, I see why she did this. Was willing. 
She yes. didn't get out of this creepy school no, ever. No, and if you and think about it, no, she was never away from them. So the, I mean, honestly. And then Fletcher's like the most normal person right? to give her attention because she was pulled out of that school. It was an all-girls school anyway. Yeah, so like she's she never any, around. No, she's then. never. Exactly. She hasn't had any male interaction. He's kind to her. It sounds like he was pretty smart. Honestly, for him to peace out like that, it sucks that he left OC. It, it does. For all we know, he tried to convince her to go. We don't know. We don't have OC's version of things. So perhaps he he uh, tried to or indicated in some way. I don't know. But either way, she seemed to have believed that Fletcher committed suicide or died. Whether she had doubts, we don't know. Because, you know, the poor girl never got to say her side of the story. Yeah. Or they just kept her so drugged up that... She didn't really even know what was going on. These so. women are heartless. Oh, it's horrible. They're awful. Isn't this a crazy story? Yeah, and I guess that's kind of what I'm saying in a morbid way about the cousin. It's like I, I kind of get it now. Right. That why she did it. Right. He was like a small glimmer of hope in her yeah. life. And, and she wasn't exposed to anyone else. Of course she fell in love with him. He was the first man to show her affection and be kind to her and wasn't starving her. So sad. Another decent human being. I dare someone to withhold food from me i hear them <laughs> i know like that, just ho- so, so horrible the, it's yep. just it's mind-blowing the control they had mm-hmm. yep. even though she i'm assuming do how old is she at this point is OC, she i mean she's 19, an adult right she is oh okay. yes yes when she was 18 was when she ran away gotcha. and married fletcher okay yep yeah so it's like she's an adult and they still come back and they're like yep. oh sorry no food for you yep have this control wow I'm going to tell you a little bit about some, this is all what was pieced together during the investigation. Dr. William Petit had come to visit Oshi when they lived in Brooklyn after she delivered David. His diagnosis was that she and the infant both just needed nourishment. Otherwise, they were completely fine. Oh, my gosh. And so when he made a second visit, he discovered that Oshi's carers completely ignored what he said and he and Osi and the baby were way weaker than they were before. And so on his third visit, the sisters refused to let him inside because he like gave him a verbal lashing. Like, you're not even following my order. She just needs food. The baby just she needs food so she can give the baby food. It's pretty simple. So they wouldn't even let him inside the third time that he came to visit. And so he knew something was going on, so he climbed through a window. Oh, look at him. Osi was just laying there lifeless. And at this point in time, she was described as as being reduced to skin and bones. She did still smile at the doctor, and he remembered that when he was talking to investigators. She said that what was going on, that they were starving her. Okay. So Dr. Petit informed the three sisters that Osi desperately needed a postpartum operation. I don't know if she was bleeding heavily or what, but at first they're like, nope, we don't have money for that. No, that's not happening. And he's like, okay, well, it's just as well because it's probably going to kill her. And then were they like, proceed? He tells investigators that the prospect of Osi's death made them almost giddy. Oh my gosh. But he's such a good damn doctor that he operated successfully and... Again, instructed the women to provide her with good food and fresh air, which I love the fresh air thing. That was so... We all need fresh that air. That was always written down on script, old, old-timey old scripts for doctors. Fresh air. Yes. Which, back in the days of consumption, when you lived really close to people in the city, they're like, move out west and change the air. Get, and really, it was just... some fresh air. It was really just get away from all these diseased people. You might survive. But... So he pro- he promised to return to remove Oshi's stitches. 
for her. Okay. I'm just still mind blown and I get it. We're in a different time, but that she's returning there. Like how? Why? Why is she going back? I know. It's well, the whole- what do you mean? She didn't, she hasn't left. No, like after the surgery and everything, or did he do it at the home? At the home. Oh, yes. I'm. This is. 19- I got to get myself into the 1900s here. <laughs> this is early 1900s. I'm picturing like a doctor's office, no. hospital, no chicken coop, something no. where she goes to have a surgery. <laughs> no, chicken coop might have been warmer. No. Oh, that was where we had the uh, the autopsy. autopsy. My bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the three sisters suggested that the doctor inform Osi that she would soon die and advise her to change her life insurance policy. So the sisters are like, hey, doc, can you let Osi know she's going to die soon and tell her she needs to change her life insurance policy? Because right now it goes to her great, her maternal grandmother who is still alive. The secondary person is her mom. And apparently they're not willing to kill the matriarch of the family because elderly grandma is still alive. And they're not going to touch her. They they don't. No. Wow. So this is so morbid. So then they're like, listen, if you do this for us, we'll give you $1,000 of her life insurance policy when she does die. He was like, no. And now I'm going to go talk to the police because you guys are shady and creepy. This doctor sounds like a decent person he at really least. He really was. And the police were kind of like, yeah, no, we're not going to investigate. They did not. What the heck? So then he's persistent, okay? Good Dr. Petit is, sorry. He's my yeah, hero. Petit. I love I love so much that he crawled through the window. He crawled through the window. He tried. He reported it to the police. He is trying to get something done. For sure. You know? But during the investigation, it is discovered that the police did not look into it. But on September 9th, 1909, Virginia, this is just after this baby David was born in August. Virginia visited, did I say August or maybe he was born in July? So they're starving the baby too. They are. They're starving the baby too. Oh my gosh. So they visited a Brooklyn attorney named Julian Verbaba. Virginia asked him to alter her dying niece's will. He refused to do anything without Osi's consent, so Virginia allowed him to visit the home and ask Oshi for permission. Okay? Okay. So he's like, yeah, you can come into my office and want me to change this document, but I'm not going to do it without seeing the client. And she's like, well, she's going to die soon, so you better come to the house. Okay? According to the lawyer who told the police, um, this is Julian Verbaba. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I'm sorry. Virginia and Caroline hovered over the bed and chanted what he thought was possible prayers. Then Caroline abruptly stopped chanting and asked asked Oshi if she wanted to make a new will. Julian was startled when the catatonic woman answered, yes, I do. (gasps) No. So so they're doing these chants and all of a sudden... She's able to speak and says, yes, I do. Julian is like, you guys, she needs a doctor. She needs food. They're like, nope, we can't afford it. They're like, he's like, she is starving. Like, how are you keeping yourselves alive? And she isn't. They claimed that the food for OC was an, an extravagant expense that they couldn't afford. Oh, my gosh. So... Acting very quickly, Julian, I, there are good people in sure. this story too. Julian took out his checkbook but pretended that he didn't have a pen. The sisters hurried out of the room to find one because Julian's like, I'm going to give you money for food. This is, this is on me. I want to give you money, which of course they're like, money? Sure. So they hurry out of the room to find a pen. And when they did, 
OC perked up. She said, I'm dying, I'm dying. And she could see that he had a pen. So she's like, I believe that I can trust you. For God's sake, please don't leave me. Oh. So she knew like what was going on, that he was trying to get them out of the room. Now, she cried as she reached for a paper under her pillow. Here, this is my will. Take it and make yourself executor. Do anything you like, but for God's sake, take care of my child. Because remember, David is still in the hospital in Brooklyn. Julian hid the will in his pocket just as the sisters returned. After accepting Julian's $5 check, they offered him two of Oshie's insurance policies for a total of $7,000 for one small favor. Change the beneficiary from Oshie's aging grandmother to them. Julian had no intention of doing anything of the sort, but he played along to save Oshie's life. He placated the sisters, saying that he needed to make sure the policies were valid. The next day, Virginia and Caroline went with Julian to the insurance company. They learned that even though the policies were valid, they needed consent from the current beneficiary to change it since Oshie was not in any position to make such a decision because she was so sick. Now, here's the thing. The sisters would not ask their mother to relinquish her rights. Oh, wow. They don't want to, they don't mess they with mama. They are not messing with mama. Yeah. <laughs> Julian, thankfully, was off the hook of having to try to, you know, secretly do all of this. Then they find out more in the investigation. In early November, Caroline had a conversation with the milkman, asked him if he'd like to earn a quick buck, which, of course, he's like, sure. He's like, all right, be ready to take a sick woman to the country on your wagon the next day. Caroline assured him that it didn't matter where in the country as long as he got rid of her. Of course, he was like, no. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm really happy to hear this because so we don't many, always I get know, that. So many people are uh, that she's like, talking about. Okay, like, sure. Wait, wait. You want me to do what? No. Thank you. Yeah, I'm actually very happy to, to hear that people mm-hmm. in the 1900s did have some sense. Yes. Then Caroline offered a plumber named John Barnes the same deal. He also declined. This was November 13th. And he actually did agree to a move to move some belongings from their Brooklyn apartment to a hotel in Manhattan where Mary and Caroline suddenly decided to move. This is November 13th. Oshi dies November 29th. And they were still in Brooklyn. Remember when they arrived in Brooklyn to live with Oshi and Fletcher? Yeah. That is where they lived, was in Brooklyn. So when investigators go to that abandoned house and find her dead, that is not where they lived. They just rented that house for a couple of months. Oh, wow. All planning her death. Okay. They actually lived still in Ocean Fletcher's house in Brooklyn. Yeah, it was their their house. house. With grandma. Great grandma is living there. Oh, she's grandma. That her will is technically, you know, bequested to is living with them as well in Fletcher and You know, well, Fletcher's gone, but Fletcher and Oshie's house. Well, now all of a sudden, Mary and Caroline, on November 13th, just two weeks before her death, they decide to stay in a hotel in Manhattan. I think they were trying to hide. That's what I think is going on. Uh, David is in the St. Christopher's Hospital for treatment. Virginia told Oshie, you might be wondering, like, how did Oshie get to the house that she ends up dying in, right? Virginia told O.C. that Mary and Mary that they were going to try out the new house. And if they liked it, then Caroline and Mary would join them there. On the day that O.C. died, neighbors reported seeing a strange woman enter the house and stay for several hours. Later, they would identify the stranger as Caroline Martin, O.C.'s mother. 
Detective O'Neill remained convinced that Caroline, Virginia, and Mary withheld food from O.C. and dosed her, dosed her with morphine. He speculated that Caroline and Virginia overdosed O.C. and slipped her em- emaciated body into the bathtub to drown. Oh, wow. The county physician, William H. McKenzie, another, another great name, yep. confirmed that O.C. died of drowning with a nearly fatal amount of morphine in her system. He added the sad fact that she would have died anyway due to advanced malnutrition. Yeah, she was starving to death anyway, and she knew she was going to die. And had been for quite some time. This is so awful. Yes. As noted, she had been dead in the bathtub at least 24 hours before Virginia called police. There's this the sick twist of, like, they would call medical, like, they, they would call the doctor, let the doctor come there, and... He's like, she needs to frickin' eat, but they just wouldn't do anything. This is so sick. And they tried, I mean, they they tried. the Dr. Petit, who went to the police and they wouldn't do anything, he also went to a lawyer and asked a lawyer, like, is there anything that I can do? And the lawyer was like, no, there's really not. He tried really hard. Yeah, he really did. Um, Of course, in my head, I'm like, why didn't she run away? But then it's like, they probably kept her so pumped full of morphine. That's exactly it. And that is what they bring up in the trial. Like, she, she absolutely couldn't. Now, first of all, she thought she was having a family. She was pregnant, and she's happily married with Fletcher. And then at that point in time is when they speculate the morphine started. And then all of a sudden Fletcher's gone. And so I don't know if Fletcher caught on to the fact that maybe he was even being morphined. Maybe they blackmailed him and made him leave. We don't know. They did find him. Like, investigators did end up finding him. He was working as a cook um, somewhere. I'll get into it in a minute. Sorry, I can't remember exactly what I wrote in my notes, but I do get to it. The police are searching for Caroline, Mary, and and, and Fletcher at this point in time because they can tell, like, something's fishy here, and his death isn't proven. So, like, he could still be out there. During the trial, Virginia stuck to her story. She hadn't seen Oshi since the morning of her death. She had no reason to go upstairs that day, not even to use the only toilet in the house. Now, remember I said that that's the only toilet in the house, yeah. right, upstairs. Yeah. And then she claimed she had no idea where her sisters or where Fletcher was. They did have a handwriting expert. William J. Kinsley studied the alleged suicide note. He concluded that the body was written with one pen and the signature with another. Yet there was neither pen nor ink in that house. So the sisters wrote the note and they had O.C. sign it while she was under the influence of the morphine. Meanwhile, Fletcher, who supposedly killed himself, this is where it was, it was at. They located him in Ontario, Canada. He was working under the name of John Lucas as a dishwasher. So he even changed his name. Wow. He did not have an explanation for why he left, but he didn't have any part in O.C.'s death. And they did not uh, extradite him. He actually remained a free man. And according to the blog that I was telling you about earlier, on December 16th, 1909, officers arrested Mary Sneed, O.C.'s aunt and mother-in-law, in a New York hotel room. When they asked her what she thought the outcome of her arrest would be, she responded with, it will end in death. I, will, I would welcome death. I am old. I can't help anyone. I am of no use. She was charged with murder and placed in a cell near Virginia's. Earlier that day, Caroline Martin turned up in a different hotel registered under the alias Mrs. Maybrick. Investigators found several notes, all nearly identical to the one pinned to O.C.'s dress. 
Yet Virginia claimed that O.C. hadn't left the East Orange house since they moved in. So they're like, well, that's that's weird. You've got all these notes here. Yeah. Odd. Um, you're saying that O.C. wrote it, but you're also saying that O.C. hasn't left that house since they moved there two weeks before. So how'd these notes get in your hotel room, ma'am? That's a bit peculiar. So let me tell you a little bit about the investigation into the house that they, this bare bones house that they had. Okay. Um, There were some suspicious dark stains on the living room floor leading to the bathroom where O.C. had died. Uh, In the kitchen, investigators opened the oven and found a uh, a burnt bundle. So... Tell me more. The pile was a mass of yellow hair and bones. Ew. One of the bones appeared to be an impossibly small femur, and another bone looked to be part of a human infant skull. Oh, no, 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 no. Not the baby. No, it was later determined or wrote off as an animal, the a, a possible animal. Did they, like, cook it? What the heck? I did. It's... It, it's it's it their was, witchery. It's one of those mysteries. It's their witchery. Exactly. I mean, maybe part of a spell. I don't know. But it was determined not to be human. They thought it to be animal. But David, David, did die after O.C. at nine months old. Oh. Because they put him in an orphanage. Oh, my gosh. Yep. So this is the saddest was, story ever. To my understanding, he was in a hospital briefly, but then they couldn't afford that, you know. So they put just put him, you know. He they didn't want oh him anymore. My gosh. She died, so he's in an orphanage. They didn't have a life insurance policy on him. These women are just horrible. So Caroline, when she was locked in her cell with her sisters. Attempted to call all the shots like she had. Caroline's been like the ringleader yeah. all along. She ordered lavish meals, which could have saved her daughter, ironically, if you think about it. Yeah. She's just complaining about how she was treated in there. Um, one quote said, why, uh, why she can even make us keepers do almost anything she wants us to do, said one of the jail matrons. Oh, my gosh. There is some sort of supernatural power thing going so on. So she was even being catered to in even jail. Even in the jail, they were giving her those lavish meals. They are bending to her will somehow. Caroline wouldn't speak to law enforcement or the media without her lawyer present, and she forbade her sisters to talk as well, and they didn't. Like when you read the book and you're like listening to how the inve- or reading how the investigators were asking questions and what like they simply stood there in their black veils and would not say anything. Franklin W. Ford, their lawyer, quit the case because his clients thought that they knew better than he did. <laughs> so then the judge had to appoint a lawyer, Chauncey H. Beasley. Chauncey. Chauncey. I love the name. I do. Case. Yes, I love Chauncey. To take his place. Now, Chauncey filed the typical postponements, writs, and injunctions to give himself time to build the case, but inevitably all three were formally charged. Caroline would face trial for the premeditated murder of her daughter, Oshi, and the other two were charged with accessory to murder before the fact and for talking Oshi through suicide. Now, shortly after the arrests, baby David died, and he he was buried next to his mother and his sister, because remember, her first daughter died two days after being born. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, Virginia (laughs) had one more death 
up her sleeve. <laughs> and it would be her own because during the summer of 1910, she became ill because they discovered she was just starving herself to death. She refused to eat. Oh, wow. Yep. Did she have a policy on herself? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm... I have a policy. I'm going to posthumously be <laughs> yes. rich. Oh, now, my gosh. She succeeded in starving herself to death. She died on August 11th, 1910. Wow. Yeah, not even a year into all this. Yep. So her attorney told the press, quote, Miss Virginia O. Wardlaw starved herself to death in the same manner as she did OCWM Sneed, with whose murder she was charged. Both the young woman and Miss Wadelaw were driven to the course by some mastermind that seemed to have full control over them. So they're even suspecting that Virginia starved herself because Caroline forced her to. Oh, my gosh. Reporters asked if Caroline was the mastermind, and Chauncey declined to state. Like the first attorney, he eventually abandoned the case. So Caroline was behaving super erratically after Virginia's death. Remember how close the three of them are? Yeah. They actually had some more relatives still in the South, and they asked the judge to declare her insane. But Caroline herself insisted that her mind was sound. A team of psychiatrists agreed, and Caroline was allowed to proceed with the trial along with Mary. Samuel Kalshitz. No. <laughs> Please let it be. Please let it be. Kalish? Kalish. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, My autocorrect. I love oh, it. Boy. Yes, Samuel Kalish. <laughs> I hope. I hope it is. I, it's I actually do. just Kalish. Really I'm sorry. <laughs> Samuel Kalish became Caroline's third lawyer and was able to negotiate a plea bargain. A plea bargain for Caroline. Oh, my the gosh. Uh, there is something very mm-hmm. eerie about this woman. I agree. And terrifying. It's terrifying. I agree. On January 9th, 1911, Caroline pled guilty to involuntary manslaughter, and the judge sentenced her, sentenced her to seven years in prison. A uh, sentence that oh, Caroline what? thought was too harsh. She screamed and shouted that she was innocent and had, had nothing to do with Oshie's death. But the gavel went down just the same, and Caroline was sent to prison. I'm surprised she didn't get out of it by some, you know, in some way. Well, Mary did because what? her conviction, she was up for, for manslaughter, not murder, like an accessory too. And Mary couldn't have been an accessory before the fact. Like it was a technicality that she got off on. Because the charges that they were trying to bring her up on are an accessory before the fact. You can't be an accessory before the fact. Like, apparently. They needed to bring her up on something else. Like, or accessory after the fact. But instead they were just, just like, an accessory. oh, there's no law for this. We can't. It's literally just because of a technicality that Mary got to walk free. I just, what? It will help you to know that not long after her conviction, Caroline became insane, like actually insane, more insane than she was, and she served two years in Trenton, New Jersey, a sane asylum before she died on June 21st, 1913. So she died before she ever became a free woman again. That couldn't have been fun in an asylum in the 1900s. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. Fletcher Sneed lived out his long life in Los Angeles, California. His mother, Mary, moved to Oakland, California. Mary and Fletcher maintained that Virginia and Caroline were innocent, 
Even so, Oshie's case is known as the bathtub murder. Wow. So Mary and Fletcher maintained that Virginia and Caroline were innocent. That's crazy. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about Fletch. I don't know how. Is there some sort of did power she, over, uh, yeah. over them she, that they are that? Because she drugging, left. Was she drugging multiple of them and they didn't know it? I don't know. Did this woman wear morphine as perfume and people that were near her came became <laughs> into like, a drug oh. state yeah. and would just do whatever she wanted? I don't know. There's something about this woman, though, that's mm-hmm. like she did clearly have this influence or yeah. control over people. Yeah. So that is the tragic death. Well, the actually very slow torture uh, to die Horrible. of malnourishment. My gosh. And I have I do have pictures. And when you see her, oh, she looks like such a sweet. She's smiling. And she's in bed in like almost every one of the pictures, except for the one that I found of her with when she was married to Fletcher. So I don't know like what is is going on, what they think. They, I think maybe Fletcher is very naive and he legitimately thinks that it was the pregnancies that was killing his wife. And maybe he thought he couldn't, once she got pregnant that second time, maybe he thought he couldn't stand to stay and watch her and lose her and another baby. Because he was there when their daughter died just two days after being born. And so there is poss- that is possible too. Is it a great response to trauma? No. Uh-uh. But sometimes that fight, flight, or freeze, man, we flight. Yeah. We flight. <laughs> we just, we flight we right off. We flight away. I mean, maybe he couldn't handle three creepy bitches walking around with their black veils on too. in the middle of the night. I don't I know. know. <laughs> but then, but after it's all said and done, they he moves to California with his mom. I mean, well, he maintains a relationship with his mom anyway, but. This is just, uh, wow. Isn't that weird? That was like a crazy weird story. It really is so crazy. Yeah, there's like no words. I have nothing. I know. Nothing. I know. What do y'all think? Comment to us what you think about this story. I just, I don't always like to do old timey stuff, but that one was just like, dang. It was good. Dang. It was when as soon as that door creaked open at the yeah. beginning, it was like, okay, this oh, is okay. gonna be what's going on. Yeah, here? <laughs> this is gonna be all sorts of uh, scary. Okay, so I'm gonna. I'm basically cold reading this to you because I found. I, I the title pulled me in. I just made note of it for like boop next brain bath, and I figured that we could all just enjoy it for the first time together. I love a good cold read. So here's the title: Man drops swag, locks keys in getaway car, shoots himself. Read all about it here. <laughs> I am clicking. Oh my gosh, you have my full attention. Yes, this is from fun- funnyjokes.com. A man who spent 20 years in prison for bank robbery back in 1963 thought he would try again in 2003 in Sportslavania County, Virginia. Virginia! Hey, look at it coming full circle. I didn't even know. Literally, cold reading this. Oh, perfect. He demanded and received several thousand dollars from two surprised bank cashiers, and as he fled, he spilled $100 notes in his wake as he attempted to stuff the cash into his pockets and get away. When he reached his hired getaway car, he realized that he had locked his keys inside. This bungling burglar promptly took to his heels and fled the scene on foot, followed by two passerbys who grabbed him. 
the fleeing felon attempted to pull out his gun, but failed, and shot himself in the leg, but kept fighting. He really gave it an effort, I will say. Yes, he was. So they're like doing a citizen's arrest, and he shoots himself in the leg, but that won't stop him. Homie's not going down like that. He's still going. He's still fighting his would-be arresters, one of whom shot him. Oh, God. Again, because they're like, no, not today. (laughs) The local police have charged the robber with eight felonies, including robbery and two counts of attempted murder. The suspect was attended to in hospital and recovered. No, you can't make it up. I just picture it getting like he starts with a run. And we're ending with just like a crawl, like a military crawl. Like yes, he's not I'm not going to go down <laughs> yeah. at all. But because he had the gun, I think is why they that, that they got him for attempted murder. Yeah. Well, so he really did shoot himself and one of his arresters shot, shot him, him as well. Mm-hmm. well he but was, probably because he had the gun and he was shooting. He accidentally shot himself, but he was trying to shoot his citizens arresters. Yeah, it sounds like he was trying to... Like, actually fire yep. at them. Yep. But and he... at that point in time, they were able, you know, them shooting at him was self-defense. So, um, so yeah, he was dropping, he was spilling $100 <laughs> out of his pocket. Bills and flying everywhere. They are, and he's, like, reaching down while he's running and stuffing them into his his. I just garments. see this just, like, declining, like, step by step. Like, yes. the money's flying out. Yep, yep. He's just gone wrong. Locked his keys in the car. Dang it. <laughs> now that that is just like karma coming all together. Everything horrible that you've done in your life, karma it's all there. Yes. Cashed it in. They it cashed that check right there on you in that moment with it's, everything. It's like a chase on a Friday to the thirteenth movie where it's yeah. just like the slow decline to where they're like trying to crawl yes, away. Like, I'm still I'm still gonna get yes. it. Yep. They have no chance. Yep. Yeah. There it is. That was a good one. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you keep it curious. Write us case suggestions or brain bath suggestions, crimecurious at yahoo.com. Follow us on socials, message us on socials, that stuff too. That works also. Until next time, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye bye.